Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is our Disney podcast focused on the latest, greatest, and film from Disney and all things surrounding Disney. Talking about Snow White all the way to Tron Legacy and Romeo and Juliet and all those wonderful things that have just recently come out. So whatever there is that Disney's produced in filmed entertainment on TV, in the movie theaters, perhaps even in the theme parks. We don't know. We could go anywhere with this. Uh, we will eventually cover it here on this show. I am Ryan Kilpatrick, owner, proprietor, blogger of Disney Film Project, at least occasional blogger. Apologies, I haven't been on there that much. Uh, located at DisneyFilmProject.com, my co-host this evening, two of the finest film buffs anywhere. And I mean that. I've been to Mars. They don't have people as good as these two. Uh, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, blogger for TouringPlans.com. And let me get this correct now. Uh, let me get the title correct. Hold on, I'm going to have to look it up. Chief Technical Officer of the DisneyDrivenLife.com. Well, right. yes, Ryan. How are you today, sir? Did you get a new office for, with that title? Didn't you see the plaque on the wall? Oh, that's right. I can see it. We, we are doing group video calling on uh, on Skype, and I mention that only in the hopes that they will give us a discount on it. Um, so yes, I can see the plaque on the wall. It's very shiny. It is. It says Bob. I don't know who Bob is. All right, so our other co-host, the one and only Miss Brianna Alessio, world-renowned blogger at the Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com, fellow film lover, uh, TCM lover. You been watching anything good on TCM these days, Brie? You know what? I haven't seen anything on TCM in a long time. I feel lost. I know. It's been kind of... Uh, wonky sluishish lately there hasn't just been a lot uh, coming down the pike on the tcm and i say that as an employee of turner broadcasting system yeah there you go and plus you know we've all been so hectic busy and you know it's, it's hard that real life stuff kind of gets in the way of just watching old movies and and it's, sitting on the couch it's just not fair yeah, it's not, it really isn't. Uh, the most important part of our show, the person who has to edit out all of the jokes that we tell each other and get each other cracked up, and I really feel sorry for her, is the talented Miss Cheryl Pohlmutter, the local Disney fan, internet superstar, uh, cruise director, I think, at some point. Um, with Without her, none of this is, is going to be coming to pass. Hello, Cheryl. Hello. Two episodes in one day, that's all I gotta say. Yes, for those of you who, who don't understand... Cheryl edited both of our uh, of our I believe third and fourth episodes today, so I'm I'm very impressed. Yay! <laughs> yes, I bow to her wisdom. So yeah, that didn't work well for audio, did it? Yeah, exactly. Bree, Bree's bowing. I'm bowing. Audio yeah. podcast, it doesn't doesn't exactly. Doesn't work. Yeah, but that's okay. But we can see each other. We're doing the Skype group calling thing again, which I mention only because I'm hoping that they'll give us some sort of endorsement package and we won't have to pay as much for it. But I don't. Yeah, Skype rocks. Skype rocks. Yes. Skype on, Skype on. Thank you. <laughs> the more we can do, the better my case will be. Uh, I have a meeting. No, I actually don't have a meeting. Um, today, we will be covering the 1989 Academy Award-winning animated classic, The Little Mermaid, from Walt Disney Pictures and Silver Screen Partners. So, quick warning, if um, you were born in the last 20 years and you haven't seen this movie, well, first of all, what's wrong with you? And second of all, we are going to spoil the movie. We're going to talk about it in detail. That's kind of what we do on this show. So, if you don't really care for that, you probably shouldn't listen. And then again, I probably shouldn't tell you not to listen. You do you do make up your own mind. Do what you want to do, man. Um, so if you if you have not seen the movie, pause the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, the iComputer, the 
uh, iRadio, whatever you're, whatever you're listening on, hit pause, go watch the movie, and then come back. You left out the droid. The droid. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening on the droid or whatever, you know, any sort of iPlatform or Star Wars platform, then then pause and come back after you've seen the movie. Okay, I think that's clear enough. All right, so one th- I'm just going to say this now. All of us have a favorite movie. Bree has a favorite movie. Todd has a favorite movie. Cheryl has a favorite movie. I have a favorite movie. All of you listening have a favorite movie. So when that happens, who do you go to to talk about that movie? The person whose favorite movie it is. And if any of you have followed Bree on Twitter, you probably know Little Mermaid is her favorite movie. So Bree... Take it away. Thank you, Ryan. Um, yes, first I should say that those of you who might not be on Twitter and are listening to this podcast, um, I used to have an aerial avatar as my profile picture. So, yes, she is indeed my favorite princess. I always felt a special connection to Ariel. Um, you know, she's so curious. She wants to see the world. I've always been like that. I, I've always wanted to seek more in life, and I've always felt close to her. Um, it was released in 1989, which also is the year of my birth. So um, another reason I feel close to it. Um, I didn't need to hear that. <laughs> but go I'm ahead. Sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, the first time I saw this, I was actually, it wasn't until I was 10, which was 99. So, um, but I don't know how I went that long without not, not seeing it. I fell madly in love with it instantly. It's just, what do you guys think? Like, do you enjoy it? Do you like the movie? I hope. Meh. Thanks. <laughs> Ryan always has a little bit of sarcasm. You I'm know? just yeah. kidding. I know. <laughs> I I enjoy it a lot. Um, you know, it's 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 very touching, very heartwarming, and it's it's a good story end to end. You know, there's not there's not pieces missing. You don't feel like you're strung along and. You never feel rushed or um, drawn out during the movie. It's just like a well-paced and everything throughout. So I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I agree. I actually I, I like the story. I think story-wise, it's really really strong. The music is good. The characters are fun. Um, I, I can't. I'm not going to say it's like my favorite even of this era, but it is very very enjoyable. Yeah. So uh, Todd, tell us about the original. Hans Christian Andersen story, if you will. Okay, as you said, it's Hans Christian Andersen, and it's also called The Little Mermaid. Um, there's there's some controversy there, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, the story is really, really similar up until a certain point and a few key things along the way. Um, she's got a bunch of sisters, um, and when they come of age, you now in the... Um, I believe coming of ages of 15 in the story is they're allowed to go to the surface world for a visit as they so they're each one year older than the other successively so before Ariel goes up to the surface in technically her sisters get to go up as well and each one goes during a different season one goes during a monsoon I think you know there's different things so they have a different view of the world that they take back to the merfolk okay and King, you know King Triton just like in um the um, the movie is not uh, really fond of the human world and stuff like that. So he, you know, she. But the, what happens is exactly the same. She goes up, but she's allowed to go up. It's that's that's one key difference. Okay, she goes up to the surface. She sees the shipwreck. Okay, she rescues 
the prince, okay, and she falls in love with him and she wants to be with him, but she ends up coming back and she has this conversation that's a little cryptic with her grandmother, okay, about uh, the soul, the human soul, okay, and apparently you learn that Merfolk can live to be 300 years old, but that they have no souls, okay, no immortal souls, okay, because Hans Christian Andersen was a very, Thunder, very dude. religious man. Yeah, he was a very religious man, so whereas you have to, what people have to remember is that um, what we think of as fairy tales, okay, were, were actually not very happy things when they were written. I mean, the Grimm fairy tales are, are well-known for that, and Christian Anderson tales also well-known for not being happy things necessarily, but being things that are taught to teach object lessons, okay, or teach, you know, thing, you know teach certain things to kids. So in this case, I'm, it's really a stretch as to what's going on because Hans Christian Andersen, I said, again, tended to be more uh, religious-oriented, and there's a heavy overtone of that in this, in the original story. Um, the conversation with the grandmother goes, you know, it, what, what she actually falls for is not so much the prince, okay, but the, the, the attraction to having a human soul, okay, in the, in the original story. And so she wants, she wants that human soul. In order to do that, she has, her grandmother tells her she would have to find a prince, get him to kiss her, and then part of his soul would become her soul, and then she'd have her own soul. And that's interesting. Okay. So the kissing, the, the whole kissing part is in there or in that's the original right. story. Okay, exactly. Interesting. Um, and uh, so she ends up, um, you know, she kind of, you know, goes on this little journey, and she ends up at the sea witch's hut. And there is, there are serpents mentioned, but not like specifically flotsam and jetsam and being um, what are they electric eels? Is that what they're supposed to be? I never really quite they, was they sure are, of that. They are indeed okay. electric eels. Okay. Um, so. They, you know, so th- there are things like that mentioned, and the sea, the sea witch says, you really don't want to do this, but because you're asking me, I'll do it for you anyway. So there's a little bit of a different – it's not like mean Ursula. It's just she's a sea witch. She's a hag. Right? It's a, it's a it difference. Is. is it a difference in tone, or is it is she a different character? It's not um, – you know, she's – it, she's just not mean about it. She's like, look, I will do this for you, but there are rules and these, and you have to follow the rules, and this is just how things are. It's not like I'm doing this to get you, which remember, Ursula is particularly out to get King Triton, and he's using Ariel as a weapon against Triton. That's that's the goal of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So here, she's not doing any of that. She's just saying, look, I'll do it for you, but there's a, there, there are th- ways things have to work. And it's also a bit more graphic. Um, because she specifically says that I will get, make you a drought, and you have to get yourself to land and drink it when you get to land. And then you're going to be in incredible pain, and it's going to feel like a sword has sliced you up the middle, and suddenly you'll have legs. Okay? I remember <laughs> this, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's like really like described like that, okay? It gets worse, okay? Because in addition to that, um, it says her – I guess they imply that the, the tail is much bigger than legs because she's – they intentionally said that they will shrink up into legs, and because of that, there'll be pain involved the whole time because of both events. And so when she walks, okay, every step will be like stepping on blades. And um, in some tellings of it that I've read, I also uh, talk about feeling like you're broken bones. Uh, feet will bleed, but she's promised that she will have the most beautiful legs for dancing. Everybody will think she's the most beautiful woman or young, young lady, you know. Um, and a whole slew of things, right? So she will be capable of dancing, walking gracefully, all that stuff automatically. Okay, I like saying automatically. Um, <laughs> and then um, I like that. 
Um, what'll happen is is that the, the trade-off though is that in order to do this, they need a blade that will be powerful enough to do it. And in order to forge that blade, they need her voice. Okay, and I don't. And when I was in school, I'd I'd always had teachers refer to this as tongue for tail. Hmm. Okay, and she gave up your. She gives up her voice to get to give up her tail. It's that's it's a tongue. So tongue for tail is how this is always referred to. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, I I I hadn't heard that and. Uh, that's an interesting turn of phrase. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's just that's what it is. And um, what what happens is one thing leads to another, and she does not actually get the prince to marry her. Okay, the prince finds someone else, marries her because she lost her voice. She can't convince the prince. Some other girl shows up, and it's because um, when Ariel delivered, well, it's the Little Mermaid. I don't think Ariel's a name from the actual original story. Um, when the when the little mermaid delivers Eric to land after rescuing him initially, it's by this temple and this other girl shows up and this is the girl that he ends up eventually marrying because he fixates on her because she's who he saw when he woke up, not the little mermaid. Okay. Huh. And um okay. once she gets once she gets through all this, um she's you know, so she's now gonna the, the price is is similar, okay? And I'll, I'll get it's it's not that she's gonna turn it into a little shriveled up thing, but that when when mermaids die because they have no souls, they become um, sea foam. Okay, so the the price for failure here, according to the sea hag, is that if she doesn't get the prince to give her that kiss, and she doesn't get her soul. She will die at the at the next sunrise. Okay, and she will become sea foam. Now her sisters figure out that this is not going to happen, and what they do is their sisters give up their hair. Okay, and when they give up their hair. They get a knife and a special knife or dagger, and what they have, to, what they tell her to do is she has to slay the prince in order to become a merfolk again and not die. Okay, and she has to have his blood spill on her feet, and then she'll become a tail again. Oh, she'll gain a tail again. Okay, she can't bring herself to do this. Okay, so she throws herself into the water and becomes sea foam. Okay, but that's how that's where the story originally ended, and I think it sat like that for probably like thirty years. Okay, until you find out that there's this, that Hans Christian Andersen actually changes the end of the story. What? Yes, what? swear to God, he changed the end of the fairy tale. Um, the actual this is, name, this is a Disney Film Project exclusive, folks. Yeah. yeah. So that the, according to Hans Christian Andersen, after after these years that it's been out, he he said no, this wasn't really my original idea. I had a different kind of ending. I wanted to get to a different sense of something and he says the original title was not meant to be the little mermaid it was meant to be daughters of the air okay and what happens is that when she turns to sea foam she gets becomes a daughter of the air okay because of her desire to become human because daughters for the air have similar problems to merfolk except they have a way out okay they have a way to get that immortal soul and that's by doing good deeds for and helping children, okay? But what happens is if, is if if when they're helping children and doing these good deeds, okay, is that if a child cries for every sheer they tear they shed, they gain they gain part of their penance. Now their penance is initially three hundred years, so it's like the lifespan of the merfolk, but they gain a day for every tear that the child sheds when it cries. Okay, so if they if so if they don't help the child and the child cries, they get more time. Okay? If for every child that they help they get a year off their sentence. Okay, but it sounds like a good deal, except that you're going to cry way more tears than you're going to get back years. So it, it, it's not, it's not the best deal. But this is, and she becomes one of these, and that's how the story actually ends. She has a chance to actually still get her immortal soul. Wow. 
The end. That that is really something. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's unbelievable. That is impressive. Yeah. I, I, I it, well, because it seems like there was the tongue for tail, and then there was the blood for tail, and then the sea foam, and wow, that yeah. that's that is definitely not what happens in the movie. No. no. If you guys don't mind, I'll give uh, my little synopsis of the Little Mermaid film. Oh please. All right. So what I did, what I did today, this morning, um, I sat down in my living room, and my dog Daisy and I watched the Little Mermaid together. Um, she enjoys Disney movies too. I just want to say that now. Well, of course. Yes, so Jasper. Well, see, that's because our dogs rock. And, and, well, I have children. They enjoy Disney movies too. Well, children and dogs rock. Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. All right. So basically, I, I just wrote a little summary. Um, so what I have is. Ariel gets yelled at by her father for not doing what she's supposed to do. So he appoints Sebastian, the adorable red crab, to look after her. Um, she sees Eric for the first time. She rescues him. Triton finds out and explodes. She goes to Ursula, takes a gulp and takes a breath, goes ahead and signs the scroll. She gives up her voice for human legs so she can be with Eric. However, she must share, and like you were talking about, Todd, she must share a true love's kiss with him. In this film, it was within three days, or she is turned back into a mermaid. <clears throat> so, um, Ursula becomes quite frightened because they, in fact, do become close to sharing that kiss. So she disguises herself as a beautiful girl and puts Eric under her spell. Um, during she and Eric's wedding on the ship, Ariel comes just in time. There's a wonderfully made uh, epic storm scene where Ursula gets the boot, so to speak. Ariel and Eric live happily ever after, and I cry hysterically at the end when she hugs her daddy goodbye. So that's pretty much my summary. <laughs> so, so my question is, you cry hysterically at the end. It, did they actually then put you in the film in post? I'm sorry? <laughs> I was just asking, did they actually put you in your, your hysterical crying in it post because you weren't born when the movie oh, came right. out? Oh, right. No, I was hysterically crying from my living room. Okay. That that makes more sense. Okay, on that on her couch right there. Well, I didn't know. Like you know, they've put out the platinum edition or the the anniversary editions. Like if they had come to your house and kind of observed you crying hysterically at the end, and then okay. animated that in at the end. I I was just asking. That actually would have been amazing, but they did not do that. Brian, do you cry at the end? I don't cry at movies. Oh really? I, see, I cried at the end too. I mean, it's like see? nothing else in the movie like gets me except for that moment when me, she says, me too, "Yeah." I know. Well, that is that is. I, I will say that is the most emotional moment for me in the movie. I mean, I don't cry, but when it's it's actually not when she hugs him goodbye. It's when um, he said Triton says the line. Um, well, there's only one thing left then, and Sebastian says, "What's that?" And it's how much I'm going to miss her as somebody who has a young daughter. That yeah. that's that's the part where you're where I'm sitting here going, "Oh gosh, this this kid's going to go to college someday," and you know she drives me crazy now, but I can't imagine her not being in this house. You yeah. know, so that's, that's definitely hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the music for the film. Um, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken once again geniuses. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're. Um, I had three, but uh, Todd remind Todd and Ryan both reminded me that there are actually four brilliant songs in this film. Um, the three I had were, of course, Part of Your World, my absolute favorite Disney song ever, um, Under the Sea, Sebastian's little theme, and Kiss the Girl, the fun little tune in the boat. 
Um, now, the other one is Les Poissons, and I'm going to give that over to you two to describe that. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> it, it has really, really good lyrics. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, f- first you pound the fish flat with a mallet, then you slash off their skin, give their belly a slice, then you rub some salt in. Salt in the wounds. It's like, dude, that's awesome song. Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic song. It's I, I love that song so much because um, of the the very opening where he's spouting all the kind of French gibberish and then he says Marie Chevalier. That cracks me up. Which okay, breathe or sit down, youngling. Um, Marie <laughs> Chevalier. Well, you actually you're an old movie fan. He was a comedian and he did this crazy French accent and it it was it, that cracked me up. Uh, okay, no, I, I'm not familiar with that, but okay. All right, I'm on my own there. Um, <laughs> no, and I thought I'm with you on Part of Your World. It's not my favorite Disney song, but what I love about um, Part of Your World and is is the fact that it's it's kind of like we talked about in, the, in in Beauty and the Beast. It's kind of like a monologue set to music, and that's what uh, I was watching some of the things that had come out around the movie. And that's what the way Jody Benson described working with Howard Ashman is uh, Jody Benson, the voice of Ariel, by the way. Uh, is that in developing the songs, it was much more like a, of a Broadway sort of feel um, because Ashman, of course, wanted to be on Broadway um, and, and wrote Little Shop of Horrors. And that was, and he actually, and I didn't know this, but uh, came to this film straight off of a failed Broadway play called Smile. Oh, wow. That, star, that starred, can you guess? Anybody? Anybody want to guess? No, uh, Jody Benson. Okay. <laughs> I had both. Of, you guys should have seen the looks on these two faces, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jody Benson was in this this play, Smile, with Howard Ashman, and um, I couldn't find anywhere where it directly said like that's how she got the role of Ariel. But I, ha- you have to assume because Ashman and Minkin started working on this movie in 1985. So four years before it came out. So I have to assume that's, you know, that that's why she, she ended up as the voice of Arrow. But yeah, part of your world, it just seems like that it's, it's, if you listen to it, it, it's very much like she's speaking the words up until you get towards, towards the end when the, as it builds, you know, towards the strong finish. Exactly. I agree. Brilliantly composed. It is. It's beautiful. Yep. And, And am I the only one who, in the scene in the boat where they're singing Kiss the Girl, because it's so much fun. I mean, all the sea creatures are joining in. Oh, yeah. And, and don't you find yourself just, just saying, Eric, just kiss her already. Kiss her. Like, <laughs> you know, like the neighbor in It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Every Jimmy. time. Right? And you just want to give him the slap in the back of the head. Yes. Just do it. And then Flotsam and Jessam have to come and ruin it all. But, you know. Yeah, I know. You're sitting there like, save me this grief, dude. Just come on, do it. And yeah, exactly, exactly, but it just doesn't happen. But anyway. I, I, I mean, we'll talk about Prince Eric, but he, he just seems like the most clueless prince I've ever seen. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's actually, my main, that's actually one of my main problems with the movie. It's like, I really like the movie, but, you know, come on, Eric. Get get with it. You almost think his dog, Max, might have some more smarts than he does. Almost? Almost. Okay, <laughs> Yeah. Max figures out who Ariel is from the from the get go, does he not? Yes, <laughs> I- immediately. In fact. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he, 
and because he because he, he you know he knew her from the boat and then she you know he was there when he brought when she brought him up onto land and he runs right up to her and gives her another kiss it's like it's like he was her best friend forever yeah and that's what dogs do pretty much yeah i have to say we were talking about under the sea too is one of one of the great songs in this movie i i just love the fact of you know i love the line of we got a hot crustacean band me too I always have to actually sing that part. Me too. Yeah, see? It's, it's, it's geniusly choreographed, too. I mean, for, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's um, the, way they, the way they do it. It's, it's, they're all over the place. Every fish has a way to turn themselves into an instrument or play something near them as an instrument. And they're all getting into it, and they're all over the place. And the way they move, you know, they swirl around each other and swirl around each other the other way. And it's just, it all fits together nicely. Unfortunately, like Ariel was like bored, silly about it because she left in the middle. Right. What, <laughs> yeah, like, what I loved is I love the the little quick staccato part where they're they're going where Sebastian's going through all the different fish, yes. and and it's like trying to you know trying to name all like just what you were saying, Todd, of how each one does their own little p- bit. There yes. was a there was a, a a documentary they shot about the making of the movie that I watched a couple hours ago, where. Uh, Ron Musker and John Clements, who, who directed the film, they were trying to sing that. <laughs> that that was hysterically funny. I, I, I like my that. favorite line at that point is the fluke is the Duke of Soul. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fish, fish, soul. You know, it's just like double meaning and everything. It's it really fantastic. Good. And and the the big fish that goes, guess who's going beyond the plate? Like really right. deep, really <laughs> deep. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, yeah. And the the shrimp that's duetting with Sebastian is really good too, you know? Indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, even though there's only, well, there's the three main songs and then of course there's Les Poissons, which is just pure genius, of course, but it, it's not, there's not that many songs in the movie, you know, it, it, you would, you would expect there to be, you know, like Beauty and the Beast, I think has like six or seven. And then there's some reprises in there and that sort of a thing. This is, there's only, there's only the, the few songs, but they, they're so impactful in moving the story forward. They are. They're also um, like uh, we were talking about part of the world before, and part of your world before. And um, what I what's funny about that is that's where like this iconic iconic moment in the movie that's constantly like all over the place. You know, when she does that thing and she reaches out with her arms and you know towards the sun that because mm-hmm. they play it up in PhilharMagic. I mean, they make her in PhilharMagic. They make her huge. I mean, like humongous, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, they always come back to it, you know, and I think later on that and like her, um, her rock that she's on, right? She's that, that rock by the, by the castle up just off the water. She's yeah. constantly on that and she's sitting on it. And it's like four times during the course of the movie, she's on that rock, right? And the splashing up behind her and they played that up in television commercials since, you know, and it, it's just on and on. These, these, these are iconic things that have carried forward from this movie. Yeah, I think the other iconic moment um, is is in the same song is uh, the, in the reprise when she does the the when the wave crests over the rock as she's watching Eric walk away. That's the that, part I was gonna mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite scenes. Oh, it, it's I, I swear I've seen that. You know, any anytime there's a compilation, you know, of great moments in Disney film, it's right there to me with the uh, with what we talked about in Lady of the Tramp about you know, um, you know the 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 scene with the the 
the dogs. I'm, I'm going to get there eventually uh, with Lady and the Tramp and the spaghetti scene there. I mean, it's it's similar sort of thing. You know, you're always seeing those those moments come back. That's the one I always you know when you yep. think Little Mermaid, that's the one I think in my head of, of her. You know, on the rock there. You know what else was neat is that did, did anybody else happen to watch the video that um, they released for Cal- Disney California Adventure today? Mm-mm. Okay, so they they released a video about the Little Mermaid ride that they're going to be putting in there. Oh. And they were walking you through some of the construction that's going on and some of the characters that are going to be in there. And they talked that it's going to be – the cool thing about it is you're actually going to be riding through the scenes from the movie recreated on the ride. And you're going to be – and when it comes to like a musical scene and they specifically show Under the Sea, okay, you're going to um, be part of the song. You're going to be riding through the song and the creatures are going to be dancing and singing around you. And it's going to be amazing and – it's a lot of fun. So I thought, I thought it was very, you know, it, again, they're, they're really playing up those same moments that we're talking about, you know, as, as the key moments of the film coming forward, even today, you know, 22 years later. Yeah, I know. Really? I'm actually <laughs> amazed it's taken them this long to, to do a ride based on Ariel, you know, because Tony Baxter drew up plans for one, you know, uh, probably a couple, uh, you know, right as the movie was coming out. But uh, yeah, it's taken them forever to, to actually put one in. It's, I'm glad that they're actually doing it in DCA and at Walt Disney World. That's right. I'm so excited. I can't wait. But they did come up with the stage show, though, in, in the studios. That, that had yes. to be around the same time as the movie, as the movie came out. They did, well, they did have that, and then they did a, a quote-unquote Broadway show that actually uh, premiered in Denver, and I don't think it ever actually made it to Broadway. Uh, but they did They did do a, again, I use air quotes, Broadway show, but I don't think it ever got out of the test phase. I think it actually had more problems than the Spider-Man musical did. <laughs> Sting! Um, Same. So I, I speak only truth. <laughs> Before we get too off topic about about the scenes, um, Ryan, you mentioned the scene where the crest of wave comes up behind her, and that is the other scene that makes me very emotional because of the words she's saying as she's watching the love of her life walk away, and she's saying, and, and like you're, you said before, that it's almost like she's talking rather than singing, like she's really pouring her heart out. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know something's starting right now, and then that music comes in, and it's just powerful and you know it's just a great great scene well it, it was it's it was interesting because you um jody benson described it i saw an interview with her she said that the reason that that part is 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 a song is like at that point words are failing her so ariel can't can no longer express what she's feeling just simply talking she has to sing it because at that point she has no other way and i thought you know, I never thought of, you know, musicals in that way, but it was interesting to hear her say that because that makes a lot of sense, you know? You know, it, it, if you get to a certain point, you know, there may be just, just saying things doesn't doesn't really get it across anymore. So I thought that was a very interesting way to think about it. That's actually an interesting point, too, because if, if words were failing her at that point, why was she so nervous about losing her voice when she makes the deal? Well, because she couldn't sing then, man. Well, if, you know, she had no confidence, right? I mean... No, 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 it's a good point. It's a good point. She she didn't have much. Well, it's obvious she didn't have much confidence when she signs the deal. You know, I think it was like that's that was kind of her only choice. You know, and it feels like that's what um, Ursula kind of backed her into. That like, if you want this guy, your only choice is to do this. Uh, but you know, it was obvious it was a setup from the get go. Those darn witches. Yeah, they're just evil. They are. 
Yeah. Now, speaking of Jodie Benson, um, she's brilliant. Uh, I actually I hope to meet her someday. I don't know if I'll ever have the chance. She was recently in New York City. At the I met of- her. You did meet her? Was she nice? I didn't actually. Uh, we've actually met her a few times, actually. Um, we've actually, She uh, was on the member cruise on the Disney mem- on the member cruises we've been on in the That's past. Right. And um and yeah, she was at the D twenty three Times Square opening, and um I actually didn't speak with her because um Dana Dragon Alley um was getting her her um painting signed, which was, was that was a great that was a great experience because they they tell us okay, did, you know here's the limited painting, it's for sale. Joey knows nothing. Don't tell Joey. You know, let it be a surprise. And I was like. You know, and then they like they go and reveal the painting, like you know, it's gonna be sold, and and they're like, and we're giving it to Jody. I I think I have it taped. I I could swear I have it taped. I'll I'll double check and see if I can find it. I'll put it in the show notes if we if I find it. But the look on her face was just priceless. I have to say, it was priceless. She was so enamored by. You know, again, this simple little gift of a painting of the aerial, just for her. That's fantastic. And they, and they also um they also did some interesting stuff with her um because of the store um and I don't want to I don't want to get into Betamos with the store so um because of some of the store's um features are for the little kids they have a scene where they have this mirror and they can um so they had Jody up with the mirror and, and with an aerial doll. So, um, and, and so I think that, you know, again, it's, you know, they're, you know, I think they realize what their brand is. I think they're realizing it slowly or surely what their brand is and where they have to market to. And they're definitely keeping marketing this, which again is something that's always good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jo- Jody, she really is. She's a beautiful person inside and out. Um, she also voiced Barbie in Toy Story 2 and 3. Who could forget? Tour Guide Barbie. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and I also wanted to make mention of, because this always confused me, Ariel's six sisters, okay? So they are Aquata, Andrina, Arista, which, by the way, is going to be my future daughter's name, Adela, Alana, and Atina. Now, what would possess King Triton to name all seven daughters with the letter A? Like, what, you know? Don't you think that would get really confusing? And some of them even look alike. So, um, no, uh, seven sisters is actually a pretty common thing in, um, you know, historically speaking, in terms of um, other fairy tales and whatnot. There's always, it's just a very common number for siblings, especially female siblings. And um, there's the Pleiades star cluster that's called the seven sisters. I just figured I'd mention that. I was looking for what the actual star names were. I was wondering if they were pulled. Probably not, though. That'd be too easy. But uh, <laughs> I bet he just lost a bet. I bet he made a bet with one to, with Sebastian. <laughs> he made he a bet. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think he. I think he wanted everybody in alphabetical order, and he started at the A's. He didn't know where things were going to end up, and you know, he went from there. Because wouldn't Ariel be the last one in that list? Yeah. See? No. Arista. Okay, so ignore that. But 
<laughs> Again, this is why we're going on to ending room four. Ignore that. <laughs> okay, before we go in front of the bloopers rail, we're having fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To, to to slightly uh, change the subject now, um, <laughs> Sebastian, who is completely awesome, I mean, who does not love Sebastian, was voiced by Samuel E. Wright, who um, actually portrayed Mufasa in the 2001 Broadway production of The Lion King. Um, did you guys know that Sebastian's full name is Horatio Thelonious Ignatius Crustaceous Sebastian? I did not, but that's awesome. Isn't it? Interesting. Yeah. It's, I just thought that was really cool. It reminds, <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of Lady in the Tramp that, that we were talking about. With Can that. I be honest about something? No. I, 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 I like, no, I like Sebastian as a character, but his voice drives me up a wall. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh. I, I, I don't know. It's just it's his confession moment. I, I, I like his character. I like his place in the, in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, his voice drives me nuts. I don't know why. Why just say it, Todd? Why just say it? <laughs> well, you said everybody loves him, and I have to be honest. <laughs> uh, he's, he's probably not my favorite character in the movie. So, I, I, I like Sebastian simply because, uh, again, going back to how things were put together in the film, it, Ashman and, and Mencken, uh, when they were hired to come on and, and start composing music for the movie, they, they wanted to bring in different styles than what you've seen in the Disney films in the past. So if you think back to like Snow White and uh, Sleeping Beauty or any of those films, they're all very um, more classical operatic. So they wanted to update um, update the songs with a more um, contemporary feel. So they actually worked on making Sebastian a, uh, a more of a Jamaican um character so that they could include reggae and calypso style music in the film and that's where under the sea came from and um you know there's a touch of that too in kiss kiss the girl so it, it was very deliberate you know his voice that you dislike so todd uh in order to <laughs> include that style of music <laughs> well you know it, it, i mean it you, can i one interesting thing about all the characters all the actors in this is do you know have you noticed that if you go through their um their histories of what they've done since the movie is that they spent a lot of time still playing those same characters for various Disney things throughout all the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're constantly being called back. And I think that's really cool is that Disney, you know, Disney's taking advantage of the fact that they're still there and they're keeping them under the umbrella and having them appear as all these things. It's, it's really pretty neat. Now, were there any, were there any wonky sluices in, in the movie? I, I must, I must ask. Cause I didn't well, know. I don't know the way that water shoots up behind her in that scene we were talking about earlier. That's pretty impressive that she doesn't like knock her right off the rocks. That's pretty wonky right there. That's I true. Think, I think there, I think there actually are sluices in Atlantis, but the fact that it's undersea, you just don't see how they work because you know there's the water doesn't have to go through them really. It just kind of is there. That's true. But so yeah. I think, but I think they were built just in case. Right. You know, <laughs> Atlante- Atlanteans are like the Boy Scouts; they're always prepared. <laughs> That's my theory. Well, I, I think if it means anything, I think Scuttle's back is a little bit of a wonky sluice, kind of. Ooh, good point. He's like a he's a large seagull. I mean, he's pretty big. He's just plain wonky. Well, he he actually might call something like I bet you know at the beginning of the movie when when they're reviewing the Snarfblatt and the uh, uh, what does he call the fort? Dinglehopper. Like, the Dinglehopper. Thank yeah. you. 
Uh, I bet if you stayed in that scene and had more artifacts, he might have called one of them a wonky sluice. So true. I mean, we might still be there to this year, waiting. And but. I think actually, I have a cor- correction too when we had chance. Okay. Oh. Appar- apparently, we're gonna have to like put in prequels in in part of I guess the homework because Queen Athena is in the um, Little Mermaid Ariel's Beginning video. Really? Yes. Apparently she is in there. She's credited. Um, and her name also starts with A. a conspiracy! <laughs> Again, um, week two, Cheryl's conspiracy theories. <laughs> so, I thought, that, I, thought, I thought, well, we're going to have to do our homework, guys. Um, I guess we will. No, yeah. no one expects accuracy or uh, knowledge from this show, Cheryl. I think you need to understand just, that from I the get-go. you're wrong. We were watching Mermaid. We weren't watching Little Mermaid 2. That's Little right. Mermaid. We were evaluating this film and not... Little not, Mermaid, no extra stuff. That's right. Absolutely not. I think from now on, when we talk about the show on Twitter, we should put the hashtag excuses. <laughs> I agree. Every show. Excuses. <laughs> We, yeah. we do have a lot of excuses. Um, for, uh, we're busy and um, we don't watch other movies. So I think that's what we should say. Yeah, you know, that, that real life again just gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you, you mentioned Scuttle. I have to say, loved Buddy Hackett uh, as Scuttle. Uh, there, was an, there was a funny story. So typically when the director, when there's a directing team like this, so Musker and Clements, uh, I can't remember who it was that was behind the booth and the other one was in the voice uh, studio with the actor just to coach them and give them notes and that sort of thing. And, you know, none of the other actors really had a problem with it. They, they appreciated the feedback. Buddy Hackett, of course, has, like, been doing voice work for, for decades. And uh, the, uh, I guess, I think it was Musker was in the room with him. And uh, Hackett records a line and then uh, they call in from the booth behind and says, uh, we'd like you to do it again. And he says... All right, I'd like to do it again, and then looks over alone. <laughs> Just, nice. So I don't think he appreciated the feedback in the room. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he's such a great actor. I mean, he was he was in, uh, of course, in the Love Bug. I think that was that was the first time he worked with Disney, and he's so good in that movie. And 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 to bring him back for this, I thought was just a, a stroke of genius. Yeah, I have yet to see Love Bug, so I can't say, but I'm going to take your word for it. It is on the list, madam. We will see it. Okay, sir, I'm ready. <laughs> um, now we we were, so we're talking about Le Poisson. Um, it, we have to talk a little bit about the character Louis. Um, so Sebastian gets his sweet revenge at the end with this this nasty nasty chef. Um, Rene, I believe it's Abergenois. Abergenois. Did I say that right? That boy who voices Louis? That's close enough. We're, we're going to say you did. Close Let's just go. Let's go. Again, again, we're not French. That's true. So Another let's excuse. say how you pronounce it. There you go. Um, he actually is a wonderful actor. He's appeared in many, many television shows, some of them being Disney, but including my personal favorite, that law show, Boston Legal. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. Yeah. I did not watch Boston Legal. Okay. Well, that was- I do know what it, I do know what it, what it was. Yeah, he was in that for four years, but um, yeah. But Louis, what do you guys think of Louis? Isn't he just awesome? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I thought I thought Louis was was very uh, interesting, and in, especially when he's uh, chasing uh, chasing the crabs around the, uh, the the kitchen. I thought that was quite funny. Yes, 
That is. That's, that's a great scene. And Todd? Oh, uh, I like I said, I just enjoy him for the song and for his little bit of lunacy and knife-throwing skills. Yeah. No, absolutely. That is true. You don't find knife throwing skills often in Disney films, so that yeah, you're right. So you so might as well take them while you can get them. Yeah, Wait, absolutely. Would that be a Blade Runner reference? Um, Blade? no, those are blades you run from, not Blade Runner. Oh, how unfortunate. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know what? By the way, uh, the two things that I personally know uh, Renee Abertura best for is um, one. Benson, which was a television show that existed before you were born, a classic. And before this show, before this movie even came out, same time. So, um, yeah, he plays um, what's Clayton, right? That's his name, I think. Did I get that right? I'm being told yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he's just—he's basically uh, the foil for the Benson character, and um, he's just—he's just fantastic actor. And then he goes forward to play. Um, Odo in Deep Space Nine, which came out after this, by about four years after, I think, or something like that. I was, I was with you on Benson. I can't go there on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, yeah. You know. So, um, and so that's you know those are the things I know him best for. But he's also done a lot of voice acting. It's very common for the people in this movie. I've noticed. Like, like a, a lot of these actors have done voice work, other than the guy who played Flounder, who apparently played Flounder, then some other fish, and then nothing else after that, near as I can tell from IMDb. Um, but my favorite, though, is uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes, who plays Prince Eric, right? He yeah. is Spider-Man. The, the clueless Man. Prince Eric? Yeah, the clueless Prince Eric, but he's Spider-Man, dude. He's Spider-Man? What? Okay, so, okay. Um, it, remember that? Remember in the '90s there was that um, mid '90s there was that Spider-Man cartoon that was awesome. It was like the big, you know, like. Dude, do I remember Stephen this? Stanley. You you've got to be kidding me! Do I remember this? Yes, the, I'm, the, not, I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm asking. Do you remember it, dude? Okay, all right. Here's here's my Spider-Man story. When I was that, in college, when I was in college, Sally, my wife, and my uh, best friend Dave, who was my roommate, we would get up every Saturday morning. Fix pancakes, and we would watch that that Spider Man show. That is awesome. We I could I could sing the theme song for you. Do it. Sharon and I used to hang out and watch it too. So you know it's. Well, there's no words to the song though. That's the problem, Bray. No, it's you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it must have been meant to be that Disney would someday buy back Marvel. This is it. it. Totally, Eric is absolutely. I, there you go. Yeah. More Perlmutter conspiracy theories. And, and in fact, he even played he even played Spider Man in that recent Spider Man game that just came out too. In the is Shattered Dimensions. It's, yeah, he, he plays one of the Spider Man because there's like twelve Spider Mans in the in the video game or something like that. Right, of course. Spider-Man. He was in he was in that Brady Bunch movie too. He played the oldest son. I'm just just observation. Oh, he did. Now this I did not know. Yeah. Very interesting. I have another interesting voice connection. Uh-oh. Uh oh. You know. <laughs> so, um, what if I told you um, a guy named Mark Hamill actually did some uncredited voice work on the Little Mermaid movie? No. What? What? <laughs> I, I swear. And you know what else? Later on, when they had the television series for Little Mermaid, he played the voice of Hans Christian Andersen. I kid you not. So there's this like, there you go, Star Wars tying Little Mermaid together. Ryan, what do you have to say about that? That is some wonky, slushy stuff. That <laughs> is what that is. Well, I was just going to say, I will say, though, I have to I have to say, you know, we talked about Flynn Rider being Han Solo. The Prince Eric is not Han Solo. 
Dude, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, I'm making an observation here. Prince Eric, not Han Solo. Yeah, more like Han, no, no. <laughs> also, going nice. to tie this to Clue. also, I'm going to tie this to Clue. Tim Curry is also an uncredited voice. What? Really? Yep. Seriously? What, who, who is Tim Curry? It's uncredited, so we don't know who Tim, he was. We no, just know Tim, it's listed. Yeah, we don't know who he was. That's unbelievable. Yep. Yep. Wow. Huh. You know, I, I wrote down some IMDb facts, so in advance, thank you, IMDb, for letting us, us use your wonderful information. Um, for The Little Mermaid, I just want to say that the wonderful Alan Menken won an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Best Original Score, among many other awards that he won. And also for this film, both Ashman and Menken won an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and a Grammy for Under the Sea, also among many other awards. So, as always, kudos to them for their wonderful talent. Um, it cost about $40 million to make this film, and it grossed approximately $9,800,000 opening weekend. What do you guys think of that? It's interesting, because I actually was looking at the, the box office. It finished in third at the box office. So, really? yeah, that weekend, which... It shows you a little how the culture has changed because if a, if an animated film, you know, we talked about in the Beauty and the Beast episode, they were waiting for the box office for Little Mermaid before they would move forward with um, Beauty and the Beast. And if, if a film opened third today and Disney was waiting, there's no way they would move forward with another film after that. Yeah, uh, it, it was, um, you, know, you know, it's funny too. I remember seeing it. I was, because I was still living in Boston and I went to, um, I can picture the theater, but I can't picture where it was. Um, if you go down Huntington Avenue, there's like a shopping mall on the right, um, and Is there's a movie the theater in there. No, not the Prue, but the other, um, the other one across where the hotel is on the other side of the Prue. Um, there's there's that uh, indoor mall, and there's a movie theater in there. I remember seeing it. I remember being there with my friends, and the place it was opening weekend, and it was practically empty for the movie, actually. So I really remember yeah. that. Well, it, I think it ended up grossing around $84 million in its initial run, and then it was re-released. And I think at this point it's like $111 million in, uh, in, in box office, which is it, – it's not bad, especially considering like if you adjust the, the, the $84 million, it's for you know, in constant dollars. Like that's more like $160 million in, in today's dollars, which is kind of depressing that in 20 years the dollar has been devalued that much, but that's for a whole other podcast. But it never um, – this movie was never number one at the box office any weekend that it was out, is which is interesting. Is there a Blu-ray of this? That's is what I was what? wondering. A Blu-ray. Because they yeah. just released Lady in the... Oh, um, not Lady in the... I, Beauty I think and Disney's the currently in the middle of doing all their Blu-ray releases still, so... Yeah, yeah I, I don't think they're... I, yeah, this one's not out on Blu-ray yet. That's weird that they picked Beauty and the Beast first, then. That's weird. It, they, they actually, so side note, they always do Beauty and the Beast first with new platforms. They did it first for DVD, too. Okay. I don't know why, but they did. Maybe because it's the most well known? I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. But yeah, this this movie actually, yeah, it it opened in November of 89. So Disney's had a long history of opening that weekend before Thanksgiving or the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Lots of their movies come out around that time frame. Tangled. Um, Tangled. Muppets. Muppets is coming out this year. They did uh, Enchanted came out in that weekend. Uh, there's been lots of them, um, 
but this this was one of the one of the first of the you know the modern era the after uh, Eisner and Wells came in and kind of took over and uh, it's it's interesting I I, just, I I couldn't believe that because when you think of this movie you think it's such a phenomenal success because everyone sees Ariel everywhere these days you know twenty one years twenty two years now after the movie came out you see Ariel everywhere you go yes. But, but to think about the fact that this movie was never number one at the box office any weekend it was open, and it you know it didn't didn't even make a hundred million dollars in its initial release. It's just astounding to think about you know the difference in how successful movies are today, where you know something like uh, you know the Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton movie, that's a billion dollar movie worldwide. Uh, yeah. But culturally, I don't think you can say it has had the same impact that this movie does. Very true. I feel the same way. I do. Um, the Little Mermaid, I, I also found out, sadly, it was the last Disney animated feature to use the hand-painted cells, an analog camera, and film work. Um, a thousand different colors were used on a thousand one hundred backgrounds, and over one million, million drawings were done in total. And it makes so much sense, too, because of how many intricate scenes there were. You know? It's it's quite amazing, like just to think about it. And it's super oh, yeah. smooth. I mean, it's not you know, it's a super smooth movie in terms of you know, it's like got that definite you know feel to it that it, you can tell it's not jerky. Everything's perfect, you know, in that respect. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. No, I um, think it's, it's a great. It's 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 a fantastic film. Um, just the the way that the way that those the the animation is put together. I will say, watching it though this time, um, having watched you know like watched Tangled recently, and having um, you know over the weekend I watched Up and and Wally and Princess and the Frog. Um, it was a long drive back from Walt Disney World. Not that I'm complaining that I was at Walt Disney World, but it rained cats and dogs and little fishies, so we had to uh, pull through somehow. But I will say it, it, some the animation in this film is not as smooth as in obviously in the computer films, but in in like Princess and the Frog and some of the later hand drawn animated films, and I, it's subtle, but it's there. You know, I did notice it um, this time. But like if I watched the movie have and had not seen those films, I probably wouldn't have noticed it at all. I wonder yeah. if the scenes that they use at the park are redone, or if they are if they're the hand drawn scenes. For the, what do you mean um, use at the park? For the, for the um, thing for at the, the studios. Yeah, for the thing at the studios. I wonder. Um, I think the ship coming up over is the same stuff. It looks. Mm. It seems like I don't know about the rest of it. I mean, there's not really a lot other than the ship in the beginning in that anyway. No, they have Ursula, and they have. Well, isn't Ursula like a laser thing though in there? Sure. Trying to remember. Um, I, can we discuss some connections to other Disney movies that I noticed? Yeah, absolutely. Mind that? Okay, because um, we kind of skipped over before when we talked about Le Pazan. Is the um, the tune behind that is incredibly similar to Be Our Guest? Yes. Yeah, you're right. It it's is in- incredibly much so, it and it, it's it's not surprising considering who wrote it and everything like that. But it, it's. I just wonder if that was like, you know, they said, let's do something better with this later on. You know, I don't know. Because, I mean, Be Our Guest is a much better use of that tune. Um, but it's there. That's a definite connection. Um, the other thing is, is 
here's here's one that I thought was interesting was there's um you notice that this movie has King Fright has a very heavy anti-human sentiment in the beginning of this movie, right? And by the end of the movie, he completely flips to being very pro-human, right? Because it's hey, hey, my daughter's marrying a human, I might as well like him. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That way. Lady and Tramp, it's the same thing. Um, Tramp come, starts out, and he's because he, you have that moment where he's with Jock and um, Trusty and Lady, and he's telling him about humans, and he's saying bad things, and not like truly bad, but he's just making playing humans as really bad influence on dogs and stuff like that. And yes, um, quotes from that movie like, they're only human, you know, that kind of stuff goes on all through the movie. But by the end, Tramp has a family again, and he's into, you know, hanging out with humans and living with you. Third connection. Um, so there's that concept of lo- of um, true love's first kiss in this movie that comes from Sleeping Beauty, right? Mm-hmm. So that's in this movie too, is she has to get that first kiss, and true love has to be behind that first kiss in order for her to have the spell be broken. Now, of course, they don't end up breaking the spell that way, but it's it's there, and it's, the, you know, that's, that's a very common thing for magic, I guess. I'm not entirely sure, but it's there. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because um, you mentioned Sleeping Beauty. This was the first fairy tale that Disney had done since Sleeping Beauty, which was back in 1955. So it had been over 30 years since... Um, uh, I'm sorry, I think Sleeping Beauty was later than that, uh, but it, it's, it had been 30 years since they had done a fairy tale, um, which, you know, when you think of Disney and animated features, you think fairy tales. That's, those are the ones that, you know, that rise to the top of your mind. And so it was interesting. This was um, it, when, when Eisner and Wells and Katzenberg and those guys came in and they wanted to put their own stamp on things. They they moved animation off of the studio lot into uh where Imagineering is these days in Glendale. And it was interesting, like, these guys were off on their own creating this movie, and these new head honchos wanted to kind of separate themselves from the old Disney and do something new and different, and yet here their first film is a classic traditional fairy tale. It was just interesting that they, uh, you know, as hard as they tried to pull away from from the the you know the old ways they they got sucked right back into it immediately it's true a little interesting tidbit about Katzenberg did you know that he did not want the song part of your world in the film originally no, I didn't know that yeah um because apparently when he showed it to his family or friends or something all the little children were were so disoriented some of them started crying because I, I guess their mind wasn't on the film and like one kid, I guess, dropped his popcorn, and he was too interested in picking up his popcorn to even pay attention to the film at that point. <laughs> that song. That's hilarious. I, I know the other thing that um, that he that Katzenberg did, and I mean, it, this is gonna, it's going to sound like we're being mean to him, but I think he did a great job in shepherding this movie forward. But he, um, when they first brought in the designs for Ariel, the animators had decided that her hair would be red because it provides such a great contrast to the green tail, and then. Um, the shading that you can do when she's in, you know, like when she's in darker parts, her the the darker red hair works better than, you know, than other colors. But when he uh, was shown the character designs, Katzenberg said, "Guys, everybody knows mermaids are blonde." Oh. <laughs> Here and on 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 uh, the the documentary I watched, Musker and Clements were like. Really? Does everyone know that? <laughs> Is that common knowledge? <laughs> That's an awesome thing. I swear that 
that uh, that everyone knew that. But yeah, so, I mean, it was actually a big debate that you you see in the in the documentary. There's people talking about you know Ariel's hair. Like people are scheduling meetings and having you know thirty minute meetings about the color of her hair. It was you know it was that much of a process. It was. You know, Katzenberg and, and these guys were bringing in the way that live action features were made, where everything was discussed and micromanaged and everything. And you you hear the animators like Glenn Keane, who was one of the animators on Ariel, and Mark Henn, who um, I swear is the princess guy. He's animated almost every princess since Little Mermaid. Um, both saying, you know, when we were coming up in this, it was like, you know, you did movies by sitting in rooms with old men in cardigans and just chit-chatting, and then you would, you know, you'd go out at 5.30 and, 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 and share, you know, share a walk or something, and hear these guys saying, no, 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 we've got to get it done, and we've got to do this. And so it was interesting, the merging of those cultures coming together, you know. Uh, that I thought that story was just hilarious, the, the way that it, it brought all that together. You know what, I think it's all Daryl Hannah's fault for Insplash. <laughs> it is! She just like yeah, yeah. They they mentioned that they they did they mentioned that because they initially did not want to do this movie because they said that they were working on a sequel to Splash because okay. that was the big first you know live action Splash of the new regime and uh, they were working on a sequel and when they pitched the when the treatment was pitched for Little Mermaid, um, Eisner and Katzenberg both said immediately no because we it'll it'll conflict with our Splash too. Say interesting. And as much as I love Splash, it's a great movie. I'm kind of glad that, that Ariel broke that stereotype. Yeah. You know? Can you imagine the world could have had The Little Mermaid or Splash 2? <laughs> yeah. You know? <sighs> yeah. There are a few points I think the world is a better place on, but what we got is definitely better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine. Did, did you know that this was not the first famous making of Little Mermaid? Of not in terms of movies, but that that there was an adaptation for stage done in 1909. Oh wow! Um, at, the, at the Royal Theater in Denmark, and uh, it was done um, by uh, Hans Beck and Finny Heinrike, and it was a ballet. Okay, called The Little Mermaid. The dancer in it was a lady named uh, Just give me two secs, um, Ellen Prince. And she was she played the Little Mermaid. She did the ball, She was the lead in the ballet. And um, Carl Jacobson, the creator, the uh, own original brewer of uh, Carlsberg beer, know that uh, had a statue commission of Ellen Prince that sits in Copenhagen. And there's actually a Little Mermaid on a rock statue. So that's actually now you think that that was made in 1912. So they that must be why they have um, Ariel sit on the rock just like that in the movie. Oh, because okay. it's literally if you if you look it up you I, see it's 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 the little mermaid with yeah. the legs up on the rock. That's that's the statue. I've never thought of that before, but I've seen I've seen pictures of the statue and I've never put that together before. But you're right. I bet that is why they did that. That's great. I don't have to ask what is with the anime <laughs> Little Mermaid movies. Anime? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so if, when you're trying to track down the movie, because um, it's not, it's currently in the vault, right? So if you're trying to contract it, if you don't have it, like we didn't, because we're waiting to buy it next time it comes out. And because um, last copy we had was on VHS, and we moved down, we got rid of all our VHS movies. Um, we um, we found that you're finding all these anime versions of The Little Mermaid. I think that's pretty typical in in the uh, the culture of putting pumping out those cheapo cartoons. Okay, because these are not real anime; they're cheapo cartoons. Okay, uh -huh. 
and uh, they're just trying to market off the name by tricking people into renting or renting or buying the wrong thing. That's that's pretty common, actually. Interesting. Okay. That's sad. But true. <laughs> sad, but true. I guess the best the best form of flattery is imitation or something like that. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's why when you're when you're looking for a Disney movie, make sure you request it as the Disney movie, even when you call Blockbuster, because they're gonna have these other things too, and you might end up with the wrong thing being reserved for you or something like that. So. Yeah, there are a lot of cheapo ripoffs of, of Disney films, so buyer beware. All right, well, let's take this sucker home. All right, go for it. All right, Bree, you want to go first? It's your favorite movie, so I'm guessing you're going to give it like a one or a two. Yeah, actually like a negative 100. Um, yeah, I mean, e- easily a five for me. because It's just my favorite film. I will always love it. I always feel like my little pigtail-headed little girl self sitting down and watching it whenever I, I see it. It's just, it warms my heart and my soul, and it's true Disney for me. So, a five. And you, Todd? Um, I'm going to go with a four. I mean, it's not, no offense, Brie, it's not my favorite. Not taken. Um, but it is just a really solid, good movie. Like I said earlier, um, it's the pacing is awesome. There's no slow points. There's no fast points. It's just there. It gets in. It tells the story. It keeps you interested the whole time, and it has touching moments, um, good music, and great characters. I, I will also go with a four. Um, I, I think for me, a five is is like you have to be the top of the heap, and, and you know I felt Beauty and the Beast is that, and I think this is the next step below that. Um, you can actually you can just see it building, you know, from from, from this movie to Aladdin and. Or, or from this movie to Beauty and the Beast, rather. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Todd on everything he said about the story, and I think uh, I do think it, it holds up, but uh, I, I have to give it a four. Um, just so you know, I will be resigning from the podcast now, so just to let you guys know. Oh, it's been that's that's <laughs> okay. We've got people lined up to take your spot anyway. This is very true. I'm very sharing. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for the show this week. We hope you enjoyed our look at The Little Mermaid, the uh, 1989 uh, Walt Disney Pictures classic. Bree didn't see it until 1999 because I think she's approximately two years old. Uh, but until the next show, uh, stay in touch with us on Twitter. We are all on Twitter. We have our own Twitter account, at Project. So please, everybody follow us on Twitter, and uh, we will tweet you things and basically just say thank you, thank you, thank you for the overwhelming positive response to the show so far. Uh, You can visit us at DisneyFilmProject.com. You can listen to the show live there. Uh, You can also get the links to download it through RSS, through iTunes, or direct download, however you want to listen. You can get that there up on the site. Um, You can visit us at DisneyDrivenLife.com, where Todd is the chief technical officer. So um, if something like reaches out of your computer and touches you when you are on the site, it's because of something Todd has done, <laughs> created some sort of 3D hologram or I, I don't know. It, I mean, we have discussed Tron. He could suck you into the grid. This oh. is all possible now with, with Todd uh, at, at DisneyDrivenLife.com, so you definitely need to visit that site. Uh, touringplans.com for, for Todd and I's blogging. Um, we are ubiquitous across the interwebs. Uh, Adventures of Bree at adventuresofbree.blogspot.com where you can keep up with um, Bree's magnificent adventures. So if you like the show, please tell all of your friends and most of your enemies. Uh, tell 573 people about this show. That's all we ask. I don't think that's too big of an ask for anyone. Uh, we will, 
last week. I'm just saying. Yeah, we went up by one, dude. That's awesome. I'm just saying, you know, honestly, people, I feel like, you know, you guys are emotionally invested enough in the show now to tell one more person. I think that's fair. Thank you all. Yes. I did. I told Um, two people, actually. There you go. Um, the other thing you could do you leave us a review on iTunes if you go on iTunes and you leave us a very nice review uh, that helps people find the show so when they go to iTunes and they search for Disney film they will find us much more easily if uh, you have left us a positive review I don't know if that's true but I'm going to say it anyway Um, however you decide to spread the word about our show please join us in the admiration of the wide world of Disney films and again thank you so much to everyone who is listening and we will see you next week bye everyone Goodbye. Peace out.